The following episode is brought to you by Poison City Brewing, proud makers of Durban Poison Cannabis Lager, the beer that invites you to live your poison. Myself, Nasip Zwane, back again with another episode of Sledge Underground. I'm very excited. Um, it's been a while since I've been on the show, and it is only fitting that, you know, with me coming back um, after a few episodes gone, you know, uh, it's coming back with a bang because this artist that we've got today, he's really special, he's really phenomenal. You know, um, my introduction uh, to, to him was sort of through, uh, you know, I got the highway mail and I saw, like, you know, and yeah, man, was blessed enough to, 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 to get him to come on the show. So I'm not going to say, any further i'm gonna let him introduce himself and then we can basically take it from there cool uh hi everyone my name is seb goldswain i have the immense honor and privilege i don't know how but i do (laughs) of playing the guitar for a living so i'm a professional musician i play guitar i went to university for five or six years and studied jazz and uh so i grew up studying classical and then fell in love with rock and roll and blues studied jazz now i play fingerstyle guitar so uh, whatever that means but <laughs> but yeah i'm fortunate to do what i do Yo, that's incredible and i remember you know i just want to go back to a conversation that we had before we started recording and that you know um you went to kersney and we obviously still going to talk about how that sort of had an impact on your life as a musician and you did mention that you know prior to going to kersney you hadn't really been playing sort of an instrument and whatnot so when you look back you know to your sort of high school and career how vital or how pivotal was it um you going to kersney college and you sort of you know learning how to play the guitar or rather how did kersney college sort of shape you as a musician mm. um uh, I would say it shaped me fundamentally um, in, a, in a very real sense, fundamentally. Because, um, you know, I had no experience with music at all. I'd never seen a live band. I'd never really seen live music at all um, until I went to high school. And the school has a great reputation for their school choir. And the school choir used to rehearse every single day. And the school, uh, the, the, the Kersney choir, like, won the choir Olympics and went overseas and, you know, like, won competitions and world-renowned and had videos with huge amounts of hits on YouTube. Well, they do now. They didn't back then. YouTube wasn't a thing <laughs> back, back then. And uh, so I went to this place, and suddenly I went from nothing to being in an institution where there's a huge focus on hard work and um, excellence. And so we would stand uh, at choir practice for two or three hours at a time, and we would just be they, we would just be drilled into shape until we got we got stuff right. Mm. And uh, that sense of um, hard work and diligence um, paid off uh, dividends. And I think we went to the World Choir Games when I was there, and we won three gold medals and a silver medal, and, you know, and, and got to go to Austria and played for twenty thousand people, and, and everyone was screaming. And it was we could see the hard, the effects of hard work. Years of hard work had led to, um, you know, paying off much later. And so I saw the benefit of hard work over a long period of time. And when I got close to finishing school, I said, I don't want to give this up. I don't want to go do something like engineering or architecture or something, which are all great professions. That's what I was considering at the time. But I decided I would prefer to stick with music. And I'd been doing guitar up until that point. So I um, kind of stuck with it. And the the, the ethos and... Um, uh, the work, you know, the work, the work ethic that the school had given me kind of just stuck with me 
after that and in a totally different style of music of course because once i finished it went from being like you know like the lion king type of choral music to um jazz and pop and rock and playing with orchestras and all sorts of different stuff but the same work ethic stuck i think mm. and and you you mentioned something really important then that you you then you know continued you know studying music further and stuff you know for about i think you said five six years or so and you know how was that sort of experience you know going from kersney college you know and and deciding that you know what music is what i want to do full-time and then deciding you know what i want to study it as well so you know how how was that whole experience for you studying music i mean how you know how, how much of a how different was it, you know, sort of transitioning from, you know, the the musical sort of stuff they were teaching you guys at Kersney to what you were then studying? Um, it was a different world. It was a totally different world. Um, you kind of went from um, music that you would be hearing on in Broadway plays and musicals and, like, places of, like, high society to suddenly hearing, like, the music that you hear in Kwamashu mm. and, you know, like, the play, you know, that you hear in, like, the local local black church and stuff like that. And it was a it was a fundamentally different experience, and it opened my world to a whole new, um, like world of artists and music that I'd never heard before, and it was very humbling. Um, so I thought I had a good sense of what music was, and I thought I had a good sense of how to play music. Then I get to university, and there's guys who are younger than me who've been playing for less time than me, who are twice as good as I am, <laughs> and uh, they grew up in Kwamashu and you know Phoenix and stuff like that. And they were kicking my butt already. <laughs> and so it was really, really humbling. I don't think um, musicians have to go to university. Um, it depends on you and where you're at. I think you don't need to study necessarily at university, but you do need to have the skills that university gives you um, if you want to be a professional. Mm. And, and obviously, bro, like when I look at, you know, a, a, a person who's sort of in high school and transitioning to, you know, varsity, uh, I'd like to, 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 to think that, you know, parents or guardians or whatever the case may be might have a bit of a say when you took the decision to be like i want to study music you know how was the sort of feeling back home mm. um i reached the, the decision personally a couple of months before i told anyone mm. and then i just had to like have the courage to tell my family because they'd made sacrifices for me to go to a great school and and all of that and i was worried that i would disappoint them um but eventually i plucked up the courage i told my dad and he was 100 percent supportive um i grew up in a home where where my family always said you know you must follow your dreams um you know if you follow your dreams then it's like you won't have to work a day in your life which is half half true because <laughs> it's still hard work um but at least if it's something you love then it gives you the incentive to get up and work at it each morning um, and so I, so I went to him and I said, well, I've found my dream and I want to follow it and I want to do music. And he said, good, excellent. And so they were 100% supportive. Um, we spoke through it and we agreed that the best thing to do would be to study um, up to university level because then even if the performance thing didn't work out, I could then have a qualification that I could teach with or you know do other things with. But he was 100%, my family, um, were very supportive of my career and they still are they're still 100% behind what I do mm. and and you know having made this decision now to basically study music and you've got your qualification and everything now sort of making this a living you know are there any challenges that you've sort of encountered while trying to do that yeah absolutely um, I think probably the biggest challenge is just having to fall into the the you know like having to um, come to the point where you realize that this is a job just like anyone else um, 
you don't escape music you don't you know you don't escape to a music career so that you don't have to work it's it's uh it's a like in a sense a nine to five just like any any other job you have to wake up you have to work hard there are elements of your job that you don't like that you still have to do um uh, you have to pay tax just like everyone else and uh, there's all these things that come with it and I wasn't really expecting that um, but yeah it's just a normal job and um, as you come to you, you, you know as I came to experience it that was a, that was a hard thing um, I think maybe something else was um, you know you kind of go through ups and downs in your career at some points lots of people have interest in you other points people don't hear about you and you you know you won't gig for a couple of months or whatever and you think your life's falling apart you know <laughs> that kind of stuff mm. um and it's so it's it, it can be a challenge to uh, maintain discipline while you're while things are going well. Don't spend all your money while you're earning the money, and then don't be discouraged when things are low. And just you know, over time it evens out. And um, you know, John Mayer also said something to the effect of like every fourth album he releases has a hit song on it. You know, so he's he's mostly a failure too. But <laughs> I mean that you know lovingly. But um, that's something that. I didn't really expect was the kind of the up and down part of of the career mm. and and as a musician you know for for the times when you know say for example like you you're going through a spell where you know people aren't really sort of engaged and you aren't maybe getting any gigs and whatnot how do you sort of sustain yourself as a musician um I just view that as constructive downtime given to me and um in a sense it's a blessing it's a time when i get to reevaluate um my music i get to think about the the music that i'm playing um take time to look at myself from a more objective point of view and to perhaps reassess what i can change what i can make better so practice more write more songs and use that time to you know like change my website and change my photographs and do do the other things that i otherwise wouldn't be able to if i was busy all the time with with gigging mm. and and you mentioned something very important there and that you know change your websites photographs and whatnot this sort of gives me an impression that um you know music w- w- would sort of also include you know sort of like a business side of thing uh, of, of things would you say that you know it would it's very pivotal or very important for someone to 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 have sort of you know some business know-how when it comes to you know them sort of sustaining themselves as a musician yeah absolutely i think um more so now than before i think the the traditional model with musicians um you know from the like the 40s and 50s onwards was that you would have a record company and the record company would assign someone to you and they would take care of your business you would have an accountant you'd have someone who would do your tax and your contracting and that side of things and the artist was just left to focus on the the music yeah and uh, I think now that's changed I think musicians are in a point because of the internet where they have to be you know pretty knowledgeable about every area of their career so whether it's production recording composition you know uh, the online social media thing your money um, you have to be aware of of all of it I think and uh, I think I think it's a good thing I think so there's less chance that someone can take you for a ride and you know steal all your money <laughs> if you know what's happening with um, your financial life so I think it's a good thing yeah and are you sort of managing everything you know by yourself or is there like sort of a team do you have someone maybe managing your social media or like is everything like what was the situation behind that I am doing most of 
most aspects of my career at the moment. Um, so far, I have a booking agent in uh, Germany. Shout out to Dominic Edelbert. And uh, uh, Dom's helped me with my with my website, and he helps me by booking tours for me. So so he helps me on the booking front and with the online stuff, and the rest is all up to me. Mm. That's incredible, man. And so uh, would I then be correct in saying that um, he's your booking agent is from Germany? You've, you might have played a couple of shows maybe overseas? Um, I have played overseas, not in Germany. So Dominic's actually from Cape Town, and oh, okay. then he moved to Germany, and yeah. yeah. So yeah, um, I had the privilege of playing in Mobile, Alabama, oh, wow. in uh, August last year, playing in the South. That was quite <laughs> quite different. Um, and um, yeah, I've I like I I've been overseas. I've been to the states three times, twice with um, an exchange program at the university. But it's still like an untapped market mostly. So that's something I'm itching to to get into is performing overseas i'm very interested in, in that trip to, to to alabama man how was it for you how was the experience how are the people there that sort of listen to music you know what was the turnout like you know what was the crowd response like and sort of h- how was the sort of crowd reaction you know when you compare it to you know south african crowds yeah well um it was different in 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 one sense because it was a sunday morning in a church (laughs) so and it was a it was uh quite a conservative church so men in suits and ties you know it's the south man you know um uh i'd say the the main thing that struck me about um people in alabama and america in general is how deeply rooted music is as a part of their culture so everyone is is very aware of um you know like the great american tradition of music and so you know i would play songs that i could play here in south africa and most people have never heard them before but i play them in america and everyone is really really familiar with them um and also the fact i'm from africa they just loved anything african you throw at them Mm. um so like it's funny in south africa you know if i say you know if i want to play a song by lira you know like white people are like we have never heard of lira (laughs) Uh, you know lots of them and they and um yet she's like one of the biggest artists in the country yeah. or you say to um even a lot of musicians you know like if you heard of becky umseleku an amazing amazing jazz pianist he was like one of the best jazz pianists in the world and i think he's from umlazi and uh, yeah he's amazing so if you go into j- south african jazz circles they like revere him he was like one of the greatest pianists of all time in the world that's saying saying something really amazing and most people have no idea who he is so in terms of taste and stuff like that, South Africa is still quite a lot more segregated um, than like America, for example. And that shows in how crowds respond to, to music. Mm. And now looking at you as, as you know, as a, as a guitarist now, um, what would you say, you know, makes, you know, Seb sort of different from, you know, other artists who might be maybe doing sort of a similar thing to what you're doing, you know, maybe the likes of like Guy Buttery or whatever mm. the case may be, you know, what, what sets you apart? Um, that's a really good question. Um, something, <laughs> something I haven't put too much thought into. I would say um, something, a decision that I tried to make about five years ago with my performing career um, that I don't think um, necessarily all artists have made is um, I decided that when it came to my performances, the primary goal of every performance was to make the audience happy. So um, I saw a, a saxophone player a couple of years back, great saxophone player, um, called Andrew Young. I actually played in his in his band a couple of times. And I watched him perform and I noticed that he um, always made the point of not trying to show you how good he was or choosing songs to show you how hip he was. Like he like knows this dope music that no one else knows. He always chose songs that would make people happy. And so um, I th- that might make me a little, a little bit different, I suppose. As I, I work hard, I still practice an hour or two every day if I can. 
and I purposely go to shows I will do anything to make people like I'll hit my head in the microphone if I have to <laughs> uh, I'll mess up if, if it makes people laugh or if, if people enjoy it then that's fine by me I'm happy to entertain um, and make people happy at my expense yeah and are there any other sort of artists that you're inspired by you know when it comes to to, to doing what you do absolutely um, you're too many to mention. I think some some of the obvious influences that people might pick up is an Australian guitar player called Tommy Emmanuel. Um, so he's like he he gets voted the best acoustic guitar player in the world every year, and he's got this unbelievable reputation. And uh, he's he uh, so I, I he's a huge influence on me. I strive to be like him um, a lot. I'd say so. I've learned a lot of his pieces. The, the style, the way I play, is um, un, undeniably influenced by him. And uh, just he's a huge personality on stage. So he comes out and he entertains everyone for an hour or two. And that's very much something that I try to strive towards. Mm. And you as a musician, you know, is, is there, just looking back at your sort of, you know, career, um, are there any, or rather, is there anything that you'd say, you know, you wish you sort of knew when you were sort of getting into the music industry that you sort of didn't know back then? Um, sure. These are good questions, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, if I was to think about it, I'd say uh, from a music perspective. So I mean, I could give like you know like life lessons that I wish I'd learned younger on. Um, sure, there, there's stuff like that, and maybe there's still stuff that in the future I'm going to learn that I wish I knew now. Um, so I don't claim to have it all together now by any means. Um, but if there's one thing that I wish I could have learned younger, that would be um, as a guitar player to keep better time. So you're a drummer, so you'd know the importance <laughs> of, of keeping time. And often guitar players want to have hot licks and hot tone and stuff like that. And uh, they fail to uh, work on their timekeeping and to develop a good sense of groove. And uh, that is something that I said that every day I sit and work with a metronome because I wish I'd started that younger. I mean, it's not a big, huge life-changing lesson, but, but <laughs> guitar players work with a metronome. That's the only, <laughs> only thing I can think, yeah. <laughs> no, that's really solid, man. And I just want to touch on a, a little point that you actually mentioned earlier about, you know, when you went overseas and you mentioned, you know, playing at, at the church down there. And even today, we are recording this episode in a church. So how much, um, you know, how much of an impact does sort of spirituality and church sort of have on you, not only as as an artist but as a human being as well mm. um more and more every day in ways that i don't understand yet um i you know i you know jesus for example said i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but by me and i believe that um the guy who made me is absolutely worthy of my life and of everything so that fundamentally changes the way i view everything so i don't um, even though I'm prone to still being self selfish and desiring my own selfish things, more and more I realize that it's better for me if I submit to him and what he wants. So he is the one who has blessed me with the career that I've got. He's the one who's given me the talent. He's the one who's um, given me the life I have and the job I have and everything like that. And so um, the best poss if he's given that to me, the best possible thing I can do is to want to give it back to him. So, um, like I said just now, I believe that, um, you know, in my performances, I want to make everyone happy. I believe that we live in a dark world, a sad world, a, a hurt world, a broken world, where people have a lot of pain and suffering. And um, I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the solution for the world, that God came into the world, um, that he um, died on the cross, forgave the world of their sins. Um, and you can have everlasting life. You can be, be forgiven. And I don't believe that in like a weird airy fairy way. Like I believe it's like a historical fact, man. It's like, it's, it's undeniable. That's, that's what I believe anyway. 
And so I believe that if I can help people and point people towards Jesus and what he's done, then that's that's my that's that's the whole goal of everything I do. Is that an element you could also maybe see during your live performances in any way? Um, not, nece- not necessarily explicitly um, sometimes because, you know, it's like if you're a plumber, you know, I use this example. If you're a plumber and you go to someone's home and the pipe is broken, like don't tell the guy about like don't tell the guy to pray to Jesus for the pipe. You know, just yeah. fix the pipe, man. You know, <laughs> Right. Um, just do your job. So I kind of view my job in the same way. I mean, I'm happy to talk to people if, you know, if anyone asks. But um, if I'm in a secular environment, I'll just entertain. That's that's kind of my job. I don't try and. Um, turn it into a sermon or anything like that unless people want that that, that's happened too and then I'm like okay cool let's do that (laughs) (laughs) no that's perfect man that's really beautiful and you know I just want to sort of now uh, focus a bit on your music now let's talk about you know any any projects that you might have released I actually took the initiative to actually go on um, on on iTunes and whatnot, and I found two gems on there Um, I think it was one the one was in 2015 and the one was in 2019 and these are these are two projects of yours that are that actually when i listened to i was actually shocked because uh, um when i like i said when i first saw you on on the highway mail you know like the first thing that came to my mind was like okay cool he's an acoustic guitarist and he probably sings or whatever but then i listened to to those um albums and you know i was surprised when i heard that you know it's 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 just like it's it's amazing you know it's just you the acoustic you know guitar and whatnot and sort of just you know enlighten us more you know, on, on any of the music that you've released in the past, um, any projects that you've had in the mm. past, and and sort of what was the inspiration behind them, especially the one that you released in 2019. You know, I, I just want to see how sort of the growth was from yeah. your initial, your first one, to the one that you released last year. Yeah. So in 2015, that was my final year at university, and I had decided up until that point um, that I wanted to be a performer. And I said, performers can't perform unless they have an album. Mm. Like you know, it's like you can't. You know, people don't want to book artists. You know, from out of town unless they've got reason to book them so Mm. if I was touring an album then people would want to book me so I decided I needed to make an album but I had no idea what kind of album I was going to make my favorite band when I was at university was a a southern band from Florida actually called um, the Dixie Drakes and if you don't know the Dixie Drakes you've got to check them out so (laughs) the the guitar player Steve Morse is my all time hero he plays for Deep Purple now but his his band when he was in Varsity in the 70s was called the Dixie Drakes Mm. and they're my favorite band and they were really weird like really eclectic like they would do country music and rock music and like uh, chamber music like baroque music and just all sorts of everything and just mix it all together and so finishing off university I was like I'm going to make an album like that so the first album um, Pictures of a Thousand Words was exactly that so it's like a really eclectic album it's got country music on it it's got like um, like Afro jazz on it it's got like full on rock um, fusion jazz acoustic music um, I'm trying to think what else like 80s heavy rock you know it's got everything and I was just like I'm going to make it all I'm just going to put it out there and see what people like and so I did that and by far the best response I got was for the acoustic music wow. so people really like the acoustic music the best yeah. and um, so the second album um, uh, the road, uh, called The Road Ahead um, that one I decided I was going to make an album of solo acoustic music. I, there were two songs I couldn't help myself. I had to have a band and a yeah. choir singing on it and everything. So it was full production on two songs. But the most of it was solo acoustic. And that's what I've done. That's what I tour with now. Um, I, I make jokes at my show, but uh, I had to figure out ways of making money. So I had to stop playing with a band because I had to pay the guys. <laughs> I was like, I can pay the drummer or I can pay rent. 
Yeah. So sorry, man. <laughs> and uh, so, I, so, the, and the acoustic thing just worked so well with that. Um, and I could get like a really full sound from one acoustic guitar, um, and hopefully still entertain people um, um, without having without having as many expenses. If I could put it like that. Mm. And the two tracks that you mentioned there are the ones where you sort of work with like a choir and whole ensemble and stuff. Um, like, do do you ever play those tracks live at all? And if you do, sort of, how do you work your way around that? Yeah. Um, there are a couple of ways that I'll uh, navigate those kinds of songs because, like, you you can't play it all. You know, if there's layers of stuff, you can't play it all on one acoustic guitar. Even though I try, and <laughs> um, so one of the ways I'll get around that is with a looping pedal. Like, I'll just loop stuff on top of each other. Um, but that's not my preferred method. I feel like it's cheating, even though it isn't. But it's just an artistic boundary that I set myself. Mm. Um, and then, like, I think the the big song on um, the road ahead is a song called "Wayfaring Stranger." So that's the one um, I got a friend of mine, Gary Nixon from the Kickstands, to come and sing that, and he sung that in my office right next door here. Mm. Uh, we recorded it in there, and he did an amazing job. And I can't sing like him, but I do try and sing it live. So we'll just I just strip it right down live to one acoustic guitar and and voice. And if Gary's around, then you know, and Gary ha- often we do the same festivals and stuff together. So if Gary's around, then he'll just come on stage and sing it with me mm, that's incredible man and you know when you when it comes to sort of uh, you know performing you know the, these albums live and whatnot which sort of um performance would you say stands out to you you know looking at all the gigs that you've played you know the one that you look back at and think you oh, i really had an amazing time there um there are two um yeah. both uh, th- and they're both playing at at high schools mm. interestingly um so uh, i think it was 2016 I got to play at Michael House, wow. and so I know I know what boys' schools are like. It's like it's basically like prison, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and the boys are not polite, and they are not um, generous to people who wish to entertain them. Like you got to entertain them, and it better be good. Yeah. And uh, so I went on stage knowing that I was like, it's me versus them. You know, I've I've got to win them over, otherwise this is going to go really pear shaped. <laughs> and uh, so I, I went on stage. And I just started playing, and by the end of the night, they they absolutely like they just loved it, and I loved it, and it was just such a great um, sense of synergy. That, and at first, they weren't too sure of me, and we had to work like there were a couple of you know performance tricks that I had to do to try and win them over and stuff like that. But it was just one of the most memorable nights um, of my life. And then similarly, playing at Treverton College. Um, that's a, a boys girls school bo- boarding school so it was amazing for a different reason like they were just like you know it was a night of no homework <laughs> and they were like so happy not to be working so they came they came down to their school hall filled the place up and we just had absolute like a ball for an hour and a half and everything I played they sang along with and uh, it, it was amazing mm, yeah that's incredible man and obviously um, when it comes to sort of you know any future gigs that might be coming up you know um, in actual facts I should be doing this at the end in terms of where people can sort of you know catch you so I think let's just come back to that for now the, you know the, like we, we, we're near the, the 30 minute mark and just I, I always want people to sort of have something to take away from the episodes people to learn you know and whatnot. and for someone who sort of looks at Seb and is like man I want to be like Seb one day you know someone who you aspire to 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 be you know what what you've become you know as as as, as a well-renowned artist you know what sort of advice would you give to to that person in terms of how to sort of you know survive being a musician and to sort of you know follow your sort of footsteps or blueprint in a way mm. um for young musicians uh, the same advice i've given to all my students over the years and to anyone who asks is you mustn't expect to be the greatest you're going to be by the time you get to 23 
Um, lots of people have stars in their eyes. They finish high school and they think, I want to do music. So then they start a band and they put all their money into a band and the band might do really well. The band might get like a single on 5FM and then suddenly they get asked to play at all these festivals across the country and people know who they are. And then like they do that and then after four or five years, 5FM gets tired of you, the festivals get tired of you and then you're 23 or 24 and you're like, what happened to my life? <laughs> so, um, and I've seen that happen with a few people um, just in my own experience already. And the goal must not be, I th for me anyway, my advice would be don't aim to be your best and your most famous by the time you're 23 or 24. Aim to be your best when you are 75. So you want to be like, you don't want to do this for, for five years and give up. This is like, you should aim to be like a legend. Like, not aim to be a legend, but aim to grow and mature and shape your music and refine what you do over 60 years. Like, that's the goal. Um, there's nothing like going to watch a guy who's been doing this for 60 years. A guy who knows how to, how to entertain. A guy who knows how to write a song. A guy who knows how to sing and how, how to play his instrument. After 60 years, it's just there's nothing like it. It's like fine wine. It gets better with age. And so um, I always encourage young musicians to have a long-term perspective on their careers. I think that's some of the best advice we've ever, really, like, we've ever had on the show, actually. So that's, that's really special. It's very unique. I've never heard anything like that. So yeah. that's, you know, props to you. And obviously, it's a new year now, 2020. You know, what are the plans? Um, well, I've already toured Cape Town this year, so that was that was fun. That was exciting. Um, I'm going back to Cape Town next month. I've got Splashy Finn. Um, I'm hoping to get to the Europe and States to to perform to 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 Europe and the States to perform at some point either this year or next year. Um, release another album. Um, that's kind of that's kind of the plan so far. It's just keep pushing away at it mm, can you give us any dates maybe in terms of the album release if any ah. uh, and also any any you know gig dates that you might have coming up uh, album date no <laughs> I don't I don't have any uh, um, so nothing like that in terms of gigs on Friday the 28th I'm playing at the Stonehouse Kitchen in Bothers Hill in Hillcrest which is I mean you've got to do an audience so I'm playing there this Friday it's going to be awesome um, after that I think there's Splashy Fan I'm playing at Splashy on the acoustic stage on Sunday evening they've got me right after a legendary band called Clout I don't know if you know Clout but like all your parents will from <laughs> from the 70s they had a song called Substitute and it was a huge hit and so I've got to play solo guitar after this huge band <laughs> Um, so there's that. Uh, I'm going to be in Joburg in May for the annual SA Guitar Expo. Uh, one of my sponsors, Guitar Gallery, always bring me up for that. And I get to play some of the best guitars like in the world um, for them. And that's always fun. And you get to meet some of the best musicians in the country at that. And uh, I think that's all I've got that's definite so far, at least off the top of my head. Mm, that's incredible, bro. I really hope that people do turn out um, and, and pull through to the to the shows and whatnot. And in actual fact, I'm going to be releasing this on the 28th. So technically, if someone is listening to this on Friday, tonight is the gig. <laughs> you better book right now. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And yeah, man, you know, before we bow out, you know, any, any final words, any shout outs you might want to give, you know, to, to your fans, people that love you, or just shout outs to anyone at all, man, or any, any last remarks that you might want to make. This is your chance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do want to thank, uh, I've kind of mentioned them already, but, but my sponsors, um, uh, Guitar Gallery and Stefan up in Johannesburg they sell the best guitars in the country you should go check them out and uh, uh, my local sponsors Marshall Music Hillcrest they are amazing with how much they help me out and I appreciate across those across the road <laughs> literally <laughs> I, I appreciate those guys a lot um, Dominic my booking agent in Germany uh, my wife who supports me and loves me with everything I do and, uh, and my family mm.
That's nice, bro. And uh, yeah, we like we like to do this thing on Sludge Underground where we basically close out, you know, with one of your tracks. Um, before we get to that, I just want us to sort of close out. Um, this episode will be available um, on iTunes. Um, obviously, it's Sludge Underground Podcast on iTunes, and obviously also on SoundCloud, it's Sludge Underground Podcast. Facebook, find us Sludge Underground, and obviously on Instagram as well at Sludge Underground on Twitter at Sludge O Three One. Now we've come to the final part of the show. Your song, which song are we? closing out with and before you give us that track i want people to i want you to sort of inform the people where they can get in touch with you online as well yeah um so i'm on all social media all major social media um anyway so like facebook twitter instagram uh and then my website www.sebgoldswain.com you can contact me through there um and i think that's it as far as social media goes and uh the song is the 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 song we're going to play is wayfaring stranger um, that's the song with the choir. So if you go listen to it, there's like a big choir. That's me. I recorded myself 80 times singing <laughs> all the choir parts. Uh, <laughs> no narcissism, I promise. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it features my good friend Gary Nixon with uh, on on vocals. He's amazing. And uh, it's not a song that I compose. It's like a slavery American traditional standard song. And I just arranged. I love that song so much. So I arranged it for um, for band. And I had some amazing, phenomenal musicians playing on it. And I think it came out sounding really good. Mm. That's incredible, bro. Listen, Seb, thank you so much for coming through to the show. I really appreciate this opportunity. You know, for me, like to me, you really just are larger than life. I really appreciate that I actually got a chance to learn more about you as an artist. And I really hope that just going forward, everything just goes super well for you, man. All the best. And yeah, thank you so much once again. Guys, please enjoy the track. Uh, you heard it here first on Sludge Underground. Hey, don't forget to go check out Seb tonight playing in Hillcrest. You said where? Where did you say you were playing again, bro? The Stonehouse Kitchen in Bothers Hill. Epic. And time what some people you know pull in um music starts at like 7 p.m and tickets are free like like this is crazy but t- <laughs> tickets are free you have to book but tickets are free so <laughs> totally worth coming to sweet guys okay guys enjoy the track uh, until next time it's bye for now
stranger Traveling through 